once you get that feeling of risking it all and you know what could go wrong or it has gone wrong before so you know the consequences you've felt the consequences but you still go for it and you when you actually get to to reap the benefits and feel the feeling then that's what makes it all worth it All right, welcome back or welcome to the Finding Mastery Podcast. I'm Michael Gervais, and I trade in training a sport and performance psychologist as well as the co-founder of Compete to Create. And the whole idea behind these conversations is to learn from people who have committed their life efforts towards mastery. And what does that mean? What are we going to try to learn? We're going to try to understand their psychological framework. We're going to try to dig to understand what they're really searching for and how they make sense of the world around them in conjunction with that mission, their search. And we also want to understand the mental skills that they've used to build and refine their craft. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Bubs Naturals. Like you, I am mindful about what I put into my body. So for me, it usually comes down to ingredients and simplicity. The shorter the list, the better. And that's why I've been loving Bubs Naturals. Bubs creates products with high quality, all natural ingredients that are designed to help us get after the adventures in life. For years, I've been a huge fan of their hydrate or die electrolyte mix. I mean, that's a fun title for a product, isn't it? It only has six total ingredients. It's packed with electrolytes. I love the taste. No added sugar, no artificial flavors, none of that stuff. It's great for post-workout recovery. That's when I use it. And I also use it during long periods of travel, which I've been doing a lot lately. And so thank you for the hydration here. And a ton of athletes that I know swear by them too. They're currently in just about every MLB locker room. They work closely with the Red Sox, the Yankees, I know the Rangers, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, and, and many more, of course. I'd love for you to go check them out. I think they're doing a really nice job. Just head to Bubs Naturals dot com slash finding mastery and enter the code finding mastery at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's bubs naturals, B-U-B-S naturals.com slash finding mastery with the code finding mastery for 20% off your first purchase. Finding mastery is brought to you by hymns. Hymns is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-informed treatments for erectile dysfunction, ED, hair loss, weight loss, and more. Health struggles like ED are common, but they can be hard to talk about when it comes to finding a solution. That's why HIMSS has been a game changer for so many men. The entire process is 100% online, and if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you, for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms, no pharmacy visits. Plus, you can manage your plan directly on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. So if you or a loved one has been struggling with ED, I really want to encourage you to go check out HIMSS. And I know ED often has a psychological component as well. So be sure that you're stacking some psychological best practices into your daily routine as well. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash finding mastery that's hymns h-i-m-s dot com slash finding mastery for your personalized treatment options hymns.com slash finding mastery prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate restrictions apply 
See hymns.com slash EOF for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Okay, this week's conversation is with Vicki Golden, professional freestyle motocross rider and four-time X Game gold medalist. Vicky is the first female member of the SoCal Freestyle Motocross team, Metal Militia. If you're in that space, you know what they stand for. They're super intense. And she also performs in Travis Pastrana's Nitro Circus Tour. So back in 2008, when she was 16, she became Loretta Lynn's AMA Women's Amateur Champion. And then three years later, she earned her first gold medal at the Women's Moto X Racing in the Summer X Games. And she collected her second and third gold medals in 2012. She understands progression. She understands winning. And this is all happening in the most elite competitions in her space. So in addition to becoming the first female competitor in the Moto X Freestyle competition, which resulted in a bronze medal win in the best whip category in 2012, Vicky was nominated for the ESPY's best female action sport athlete back in 2014. And then earlier this year, back in March, Vicky laid it down again in Auckland, New Zealand, when she landed her first ever FMX backflip off the 15 next gen level ramp. It's a fancy thing to say. It's a big, hairy jump and ranking her as the only woman who has flipped one of the largest FMX ramps in the world. I mean, again, she's living it. She's right at the tip of the arrow. And I was so stoked to have her on this podcast And I had the fortune of speaking with her only a few days before she performed a record-breaking stunt on History's Evil Live 2, where she sped through a series of flaming wooden boards. And you'll get a chance to hear how she prepared for this event, what was going through her mind in the days leading up to it. And I've always had this deep appreciation for action and adventure sport athletes, those who are pushing the edges of their capacity where there are real consequences when things go wrong. And we obviously get into that, into this conversation. So with that, let's jump right into this conversation with Vicki Golden. What's up, Vicki? What's going on? How are you? Yeah, good. Stoked to be here with you. Yeah, me too. So we're two days in before your event. Yeah, pretty crazy. (laughs) I know. All right. So typically when you're two days in before something that you're about to do, what is it like for you? Um, I just mainly just try and like keep on a good schedule of sleeping, eating and trying to do everything I can to be prepared as I can pretty much. You sound like a professional. I, yeah, that's what they call me. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So walk people through how you spend most of your time. Uh, most of my time I sleep, eat, eat, breathe, and dirt bikes. That's pretty much what my world is surrounded by is all dirt bikes. When did you first get on a bike? I first got on a bike when I was seven years old. Okay. So pretty young. Yeah. It's actually pretty late for our sport too. You You hear a lot of folks that are on like at three and like, you know, barely can walk and yeah, pretty much you're born onto them. And I actually had what, you know, seven doesn't sound like a late start, but in our industry, it actually is. What, what has been the cost of only having one sport the upside is obvious right Right. lots of time figuring things out tinkering you know like becoming really familiar but what has been a cost to 
one sport, if you will? Uh, the cost of being the one sport is that you're not good at any other sports. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, obvious, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, you not play any other sports? Um, yeah, we tinker around in, in other sports, but ultimately we get pissed off, frustrated because I'm not very good at them. So competition starts getting the best of you. When you suck at something, you're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Do you, do you think of yourself as being uber competitive? Oh, yeah, for sure. Everything that um, any of friends, boyfriend, everything that we do is is a competition for sure. Okay, walk walk me through early days. Like, what was it like early days growing up? Early days growing up, uh, you know, it's crazy. I really don't have, like, memories of too much things that happened in school or school plays, dances or anything. Just all my childhood is surrounded by riding dirt bikes like all my memories come from dirt bikes really okay did parents ride my dad used to ride yeah he uh he was a big fan of pretty much anything two wheels and so was my brother growing up so yeah we were kind of born into it because of my dad what part of the world southern california in uh san diego yeah there's a circuit of riders down there for absolutely, sure absolutely yeah Tem- temecula yeah and that's where you are yeah i, I live in temecula marietta now which is like you said, it's the heart of it. Like you can't travel a mile without seeing a dirt bike or in the back of a truck or a dirt bike shop or of some sort, you know, that's the heart of motocross right there. It's weird. Like there are hotbeds. You've heard that yeah. phrase. There's hotbeds like Russia for ballet, mm-hmm. Maryland, or I'm sorry, not Maryland, Virginia. Is it Maryland or Virginia for basketball? There's like a little hotbed there. For sure, like the city that we're in, Hermosa, Manhattan for volleyball. Right. Um, and so you just happen to be born in a hotbed with a a brother and a dad that were into it. Yeah, I'm sure that helped. I mean, they had to get into it somehow, and I'm sure that's the reason they got into it. And then I was just surrounded by it. You know, there wasn't a way to get away from it. At what age did they acknowledge that you were better than them? I think I started getting faster than like my dad or my friend's dads. I think I was getting around uh, like the 85 CC motorcycles and I was probably maybe 12, 12 or 13. And I started being able to like keep up with them or like kind of battle with them. And they were getting like, no way, this isn't, this shouldn't be happening yet. <laughs> so, uh, so age 12, 85 cc's and yeah, they're on that. like what? 250s or 125s? Yeah, 125s, 250s, and you're 250s. you're keeping up with them at that point. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Okay, so I want to take this in two directions. One is I, I really want to know what it was like to, for the you and adults because you're as fast as them or faster and how they treated you off track. Like, let's go down that path. What Do you remember any of that? Like how adults treated me? Yeah. Um, I think they pretty much treated me like, you know, just one of their kids. You know, all the parents had kids riding. So I was just, you know, one of their kids type thing. And my dad got hurt from riding at, I think, when I was about 12 or 13. So I started getting kind of shipped off with another family to do these races so I could keep going and progress. So... At that, you know, I was just an up a part of another family too. So it kind of made it cool just because that other family treated me so great. Um, and they rode with me, took me riding. So um, Todd, the the dad of that family, Todd Freestat, he, he was the one I battled with all the time. And he was like, dude, I can't believe it. Like, I didn't think this would happen. And he's like, you're, you're on an 80 and, and you're a girl on an 80. <laughs> he was just like, couldn't believe it. <laughs> and so did he have 
boys? Yeah, he had three boys that all rode. And you were faster than them? Well, I wasn't faster than them, but they were already a bit older, um, already faster than their dad. But they were on um, big bikes already. They were on 250Fs and 450s. So he kind of already expected them to be faster than him. Okay. And then what was that like? Now, this is the other way I wanted to go. Inside your head, if you could go back to... You know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that kind of range. What was it like in there? What were you thinking about? Like seeing these grown adults <laughs> and thinking that you could go faster than them. But maybe I'm taking down a path that's not right. Maybe you weren't even thinking about them. I really wasn't. I wasn't really thinking about doing that stuff. And yeah, I mean, when he brought it up, I'm like, oh, that's a fun challenge. Like now I want to beat him. But I just, I just grew up loving riding dirt bikes. There wasn't much past that. I didn't think much past that. Whatever it took to be able to ride my dirt bike, that's all I focused on. Okay, what was school like? School was good. Pretty basic, easy. Um, I knew what it took to stay on my dirt bike. My parents said if you keep up good grades, you can keep riding your dirt bike. So school was never an issue to me. Uh, I kept up with my schoolwork, always had good grades. I just wanted to make sure like, as long as I could ride my dirt bike i never wanted to get in trouble to even chance getting taken my dirt bike getting my dirt bikes taken away so, okay, I, was so a, I was a really good kid in school okay so you're a you're what we call like a true competitor you've got your stuff in line right it's not like recklessly um, part of your life it's like you've got your order your priorities and orders in line and you're making sure that you're taking care of work to go do the thing that you love yeah absolutely. and that was at a young age is that still true today yeah absolutely um I, I, unfortunately, my brother was the opposite. He didn't really do well, too, too, too well in school or, you know, he was just kind of the, he kind of just made a lot of mistakes growing up and I was able to look at that and say, this is what I don't want to do. How much older? So he's seven years older than me. Okay. So it's almost like they say, I think around five or six years that it's like a, uh, only having, being an only child. Yeah. But was that close? Um, you know, me and my brother were still pretty close growing up. We, we had a lot of fighting going on, like typical sibling rivalry goes, but no, my brother was pretty great when it came to, to riding at least. Um, I was still the annoying little sister that bugged him all the time, but when it came down to it, he would always, at least, you know, if I had a special race coming up, he would always make a point to be there or help me with my bikes or anything like that. You know, he was really, really hands on when it came to to the dirt bike world because he knew he loved riding, too. Um, and so did I. So we had that, you know, good bond for for growing up riding dirt bikes together. OK, there's two things I don't want to gloss over. One <laughs> is your dad that he got hurt. I don't know if that's significant or or it was just kind of a, like he got hurt and then. I don't know. Like what, what happened there? Uh, yeah, unfortunately he had, we had a local motocross track and every Monday it was, uh, they put like vet riders and quad practice together. And it was pretty much just, just that there weren't no kids allowed, no, no little bikes, nothing like that. So that was just a day that he went and rode and it was kind of his day type thing. So he went out to one of those practices. No one else really went with him, and he ended up colliding with a quad and, he got paralyzed from that. Mm. What type of paresis? Uh, uh, he was about mid chest down. He still had his arm, so he wasn't full. Um, but yeah, he uh, he was a paraplegic and you know struggled with it. He was never one of those those um, scenarios where you bounce back and can do 
pretty much everything. He just never could really bounce back, but he definitely fought his hardest to try. You say it sounds like he's passed. He did pass away. Okay. Yeah. When, when did that happen? Uh, that happened about almost two years ago. Oh, so it's pretty fresh still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. pretty fresh still. Um, thankfully, I guess with my, my world, I'm pretty busy, so I can keep my mind off it. But, yeah, it was tough for my mom because she was actually his caregiver too. So she was just with him 24-7. So she struggled with it. But, you know, she's getting better now. She's really trying to kind of turn her, not turn her life around, but just adjust things. Um, she kind of let herself go, didn't eat right. And she started feeling the effects from it within the year. And then this following year, she, you know, started eating better and she lost a bunch of weight. So, yeah, really proud of her for everything that she's been able to come back Mm. from. So at age 12, when your dad has the worst accident, you know, one of the worst accidents you can imagine, how does that impact you at all? It did. But I think, thankfully, like I was too young to really like fully understand it. It was, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. You know, there was nothing really that, um, you know, negative for a while that I got to like experience. Obviously when he, he stayed in the hospital for a long time and my mom didn't really want me to go visit him at all just because he was in rough shape. So yeah, I didn't really have much understanding when I was young. So I think that probably helped just because I was just a little too young. Maybe it was would have been different if I was like 15 or 16, but I think I was just too young to fully understand it. What was the family philosophy about riding and crashing? Uh, there wasn't really one about crashing. It was more about quitting. There wasn't that. They made it. They told me uh, no bad habits and quitting is a bad habit. So I kind of turned that around and made it so... Uh, I have a bad habit of not quitting. Got it. Okay. So part of the operating philosophy for your family was no bad habits. Your, your brother didn't necessarily pick that, that one up. He missed that. He (laughs) He missed missed that that step. But But maybe they learned it from him Yeah. and then they infused it with you. So then you take that and you said, okay, I'm going to flip it too. And I'm going to stay too long. Yeah. So sometimes that definitely hurts me because I don't know when to give up and I push too hard and sometimes that's actually caused me some injuries, but yeah, at least that, at least this way I leave no stones unturned. (laughs) Okay. Is that, is that more like gym stuff or riding stuff that you're like, I I get this picture of like a relentless competitor where you're like, I'm not dropping out of anything. For sure. I mean, that's pretty much my mindset with everything, but yeah, it's definitely hurt me in some areas where, um, for instance, in racing supercross, I was going every day nonstop working too hard and I wasn't qualifying. I wasn't making it. I was just, you know, a little bit off. So I would go home and work harder. Okay. So in that relentlessness, what is it that you're searching for? Uh, just to, to make the goal I set out for myself. I set a goal to qualify for a night show on a supercross, which is an all men's sport. And I wanted to qualify for it. And I was getting, just, you know, just off the bubble of where I needed to be. So I'd go home and work harder. Well, I did that for 17 weekends straight and developed Epstein-Barr. Oh, so you really I take worked it too for- hard. Yeah. All right. So walk us through Epstein-Barr. It's pretty miserable. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, it was 
kind of like Bigfoot. I thought it was this thing, this made up thing that athletes used as an excuse. <laughs> you thought it was Bigfoot. That was <laughs> yeah. a thing that like walked in the. In the <laughs> I oh, thought it was fake. Yeah. I thought it was an excuse when an athlete's not doing what, as well as he wants. And he's like, oh, I got Epstein Barr and just kind of, that's their excuse. You know, there's no real. In- yeah. Yeah. And I just thought it was, that's what it was, just an excuse. But I learned really quickly that it's not. What were your symptoms? I had uh, every, almost every symptom throughout the months on end that I had it. I would feel like I had a cold one weekend and then it would go into nausea the next. Then it would kind of affect my brain, the way, like, men, like memories and not being able to really focus um, a lot, a lot of nausea fatigue i was always tired it affected my mood too it was just every single symptom i pretty much had it start to finish i had it for almost a full year Mm, it took a year to a year uh, yeah i mean i didn't i dug myself a big hole before we even realized i had it i think i found it found out that i had it um there were 17 weekends of racing in 18 weekends and I found out at week 17. So there's only one weekend of racing left when I found it, found out that I actually had it. So we did, it took forever to find out that's what it was. So looking back, what are some of the signs like folks that don't understand it? Like what are some signs yeah, that you'd say, Hey, listen, if this type of thing is happening and Epstein bar is one of those weird ones where it, the, the, it's not a tight diagnosis. It's not. And that's yeah. what's tough to even diagnose it or to even to watch for the signs because it's all pretty common stuff. Feeling like you're gonna you're getting sick, sore throat, um, tired, it's fatigue. Like you're beaten down yeah. in a way where like small little internal knickknacks. Yeah. And but when they compound, it's like, whoa, there's something wrong with my immune system here. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I just didn't know. I thought oh, I was getting sick and then I kind of feel a little bit better and then go back to feeling kind of crappy again. And it just, it never was set in stone. Like you have one set sim- symptom for this one set diagnosis. It's just not like that. If you look at the list for Epstein-Barr, it's almost endless. So it's just, it's tough to really call. And you should have like, you know, outside looking in, you should be able to see it, but we're athletes. We work hard every day. So it's, it's hard to find when you, where that line is. And now I'm very aware of it. And now I'm very, I guess, scared of pushing that line. So. Ooh, that's interesting. So because you, you got right up on the razor's edge, stayed there too long, Mm -hmm. didn't recover properly. So I, I love the concept. I think it's a necessary concept to get on the edge, retract. Get on the edge again, retract. Yeah, you I just never retracted. You weren't retracting. Was that more psychological or physiological? Um, it was. It was hard because it was a. It was both because I was a first woman doing making this attempt to qualify. There was so much extra stuff that comes with it that tell, not tell every athlete. What, yeah, tell me what those are. Um, well, one just a lot of press, and that felt like my. I'll go through my week, and it was Monday. Uh, ride, then gym, Tuesday, ride, gym, fly out Wednesday, um, California base. So I was flying to the East coast. That would be Wednesday, Thursday, wake up at 4am, do press, ride my dirt bike at five in the morning until the sun comes up, then pass, you know, you know, into the afternoon of doing press interviews or riding for press. 
Um, same thing on Friday morning. And then I would stay even longer because that's when all the industry type media would show up. And then Saturday was race day. So then I would put it all on the line on Saturday. And then if I didn't make it pissed off, fly home Sunday and try even harder the following week. And that there was no off day. My flying days were my recovery day, which isn't a real recovery day. And I don't know if people can appreciate just how taxing riding is. When we look at heart rates for people that are riding, um, it's up in like the 190s for the you know the entire set. It's crazy, and we're we're not sure. In fairness, we're not sure if that's because of like just the constriction of holding on, or we're not exactly sure. But yeah. the tax to ride at your level is incredible. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know the last like official study but for the longest time we were pretty much set motocross was the first or second most physically demanding sport so to put that you know in that kind of perspective yeah like you have to be working hard all the time finding mastery is brought to you by apollo neuro i am really excited about what apollo neuro is building if you haven't had the chance yet I highly recommend that you go check out the conversation I had with our co-founder, Dr. David Rabin, on the podcast. It is well worth a listen. Unlike traditional wearables that simply track your biometrics, Apollo is doing it totally differently. Apollo Neuro is designed to actively improve your health by enhancing sleep, relaxation, energy, and focus. So how's it work? Developed by neuroscientists and physicians, Apollo delivers these soothing little vibrations they call them Apollo vibes, that are like music your body can feel. More rapid vibrations help to improve your energy and focus, while the slower vibrations help to promote rest and digest in your body. And the best part for me, they're grounded in good science. Apollo has been tested by thousands of users in clinical and real-world trials. I would love for you to give it a go. It's making a meaningful difference in my life. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can receive an exclusive 15% off an Apollo wearable. Just head to apolloneuro.com slash findingmastery and use the code findingmastery at checkout. This is an exclusive offer. It's only for us here at Finding Mastery. So be sure to use the code at checkout. Again, that's Apollo, A-P-O-L-L-O, Apollo neuro n-e-u-r-o apollo neuro.com slash finding mastery or use the code finding mastery at checkout for 15 percent off your purchase finding mastery is brought to you by cured if there's one big rock to get into the container when it comes to dialing in your wellness one thing that stands out among the rest is sleep whether it be improved physical health mental health performance creativity quality sleep is the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the science that supports that. And if you're struggling with sleep or you just want to dial it in a bit further, Cured's Zen formula it just might be a great solution for you. Zen is a nootropic that is formulated by Cure's very own in-house clinical herbalist. And it contains a blend of reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, chamomile, passionflower, and broad-spectrum CBD. That is a powerhouse combination. Zen could be a great little addition to your bedtime routine. 
they recommend taking it about 45 minutes before hopping into bed to let the reishi and ashwagandha and chamomile and the CBD do their thing. So right now, because you're listening to this podcast, Cured is hooking you up with a great offer. You can try Zen for 20% off when you visit curednutrition.com slash findingmastery and you use the code findingmastery at checkout. That's Cured, C-U-R-E-D, Cured, nutrition.com slash findingmastery and enter the code findingmastery at checkout to save 20%. Okay, so there's physical getting up on the edge and then there's mentally getting on the edge and then the same for recovery. So how do you do the psychological recovery piece? It, the, the psychological part is definitely harder for me. I don't, I don't do nothing very well. And I, <laughs> most people don't yeah. they really care. Like it's I really, really struggle. Hard thing. Yeah. I really yeah. struggle with, if, with recovery, actually physically and mentally, because I see, I cannot sit still. Like I hate, I can't sit on the couch and watch TV. It's just, I can probably do like a 30 minute episode and then I have to go somewhere or do something. And I think that came from after Epstein Barr of just being stuck on the couch for months on end. I I did my like lifetime sentence of couch life. So I just, I don't do nothing very well. Okay. Got it. So I'm imagining that meditation mindfulness work has been hard, if not non-existent even. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I do it. I do that type of stuff when, you know, I have something big and important coming up. And then after that, it's just like, okay, I've been sitting here for like 20 minutes. Maybe I should go like work on my bike or go to the gym or do something that I feel like I'm always having to like make sure I'm putting back into my program. Do you feel, I'm just getting a picture. Like, do you feel unsettled, like internally unsettled, scratchy or like just restless? If I'm not riding pretty much, I'm always, I always, it's hard because my job is my hobby too. So like, even if I feel like I have to go ride, there's some days where I don't, but I'm like, I want to go ride. So it's, it's kind of a, a tough one to, well, I yeah, guess, I separate. Mean, it, it, I hear that. And at the same time, I'm thinking like, it's, I think it's way harder to go through life when you can't do the thing that you love. For sure. Right? Yeah. Whether it's an extra hobby and you're tired, fatigued, or can't, don't have the money or resources or time to do it, whether it's guitar, riding, or whatever. But the idea that you get to do both, there isn't, there's another compromise, right? Which is like, it's hard to separate them. And a lot of people, in fairness, they say, like, I, I started playing this sport or this thing, and then it became a business, and I, I don't love it anymore. Right. But you haven't had that. There's moments where I get like that for sure, but it doesn't last very long. Yeah. Cool. So what is it that you love about riding? What, what, where does that come from? What does it feel like inside of you? Cause what I'm want to tap into is this concept of passion, right? Like the animation of passion. So walk me through what that's like for you. It's just, it's a feeling that just never gets old, you know, like no matter what you're doing in life, even if you don't have a sport you go to, if, even if it's when you want to unwind and you read a book, it's that same feeling of just like, man, like this is what I want to do right now and I get to do it. And it's like, it's also my getaway too. So it's, it's my job, but it's still, like I said, it's still my hobby. So whatever you do to do your getaway, whether it's go play golf, go play basketball just for fun or something, you know, that's the same feeling of just getting to do whatever you want to do that you love and you get to just not think about anything. If you have a business meeting, doctor's appointments, 
coming up, like none of that matters because you're just focusing on on whatever you know that sport or whatever your that the task thing, at the hand. Thing, the yeah. thing is, yeah. So you're you're like talking in a really concrete way, but you're also speaking about something very zen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is like just, getting completely absorbed and lost in the task at hand. The thing yeah. that you're doing, whether it's a conversation or, you know, kick it on your bike. Exactly. Like there's literally nothing better than when you get, you know, a couple of your friends and you just, we go ride. And the crazy part is, is for freestyle, normally we only have one jump and that's all we ride for like a couple hours is just one jump. We don't change it. We don't really do anything different, but we're practicing different tricks in the air, but we're still riding the same one jump. So it's one of those things where you're like, it sounds completely boring that you're just jumping the same jump over and over and over. But well, there's so much consequence at stake though. Yeah, so for it, sure. You have to be switched on for it. Yeah, you know? for sure. And we are the whole time, but it's just that much better when you get a couple of friends and you try you know, maybe learning a new trick that nobody's tried before. So you're all sitting there trying the same trick, trying to progress and who can, who can learn the trick first. Like that's what the best days are made of, of just riding with your friends and trying to push each other. Okay. So I want to hold here for a minute. That's what the best days are made of when you're with your friends pushing limits. Yeah. I mean, that's what you started as a kid. You just riding dirt bikes, put, you know, the motocross track, you're just riding around, putting in laps, maybe messing around or finding a new jump out in the hills. And you're, you know, who's going to jump at first and you're all sitting there waiting for someone to go. And it's just that, just that feeling and just feeding off each other. And it's not for set money or competitions. It's just pride pretty much. And who can, who can say they jumped at first and who jumped at last or something and just, just I can't tell you how much I relate. Yeah. And so are you more interested? You're really serious. You're super intense, aren't you? Um, when it comes down to the competitions and stuff like that, for sure. Like we have our, even now, like you're pretty serious and intense. You're not goofy, silly, whatever, nonchalant. Like you take your craft seriously. You're really intense. And I, I, I'm looking at you right now as if you want to say, dude, no, no, I mean, it's, it's both like there's a time and place for it. And when we do more of like our Nitro Circus live shows, those are more like the fun, goofy things that it's pretty lighthearted and we don't have any like gnarly competition. So it's super lighthearted and that's when you get to kind of let loose and have fun. But yeah, when it comes down to the serious stuff where you're doing something maybe you're not comfortable with, that's when I definitely buckle down and make sure everything's on point. Okay. So let's go back to the best days, right? Yeah. You're with your friends and you're pushing limits. You know, you're getting up on, on boundaries. Are you more interested in progression or are you more interested in the social set of it? Or is it really the combination of both? It's it's the combination of both. It just makes it, when you're trying to progress, it makes it not feel like work. Because there's still some days where, yeah, I, I every day I go out and I'm like, okay, I want to do this trick a little bit better, change it this way, or learn this trick and make this trick better. So, like, there's still goals I set out every day for practice. But when you just have all your friends there, it just makes it so much easier to push yourself and do these tricks especially like it's kind of like just when you have someone else that you're struggling with or whatever it is it's just it's just easier to do as a group and there is something about when when you line it up 
and it all clicks, the thing that you have in your head that you're trying to sort out to actually do, and there's a witness there. And I wish, yeah. I, th- there's, a, uh, don't get me wrong, like there's something really great when you're the only one that feels it, knows it, and see, you know, like, but there, I don't know why. I wish you, I almost wish I didn't feel that way. It For feels sure. like it's not as pure. Yeah. But there's something really special when there's a group of people who know. I'm not talking about like folks that don't know, but who really know what it takes and they see it and they're like, yeah, it's just, it's just really cool being able to share those kinds of moments with, with more than just yourself. Like it's just that feeling when you nail that trick or whatever you're trying to do. And then you have all your buddies come over just as stoked as you are. Like it just makes it that much better. Are you more interested in the thrill of it or the knowing of it? The knowing of what it takes or the feeling and thrill that comes with being able to command your mind and your body in air, inverted, with consequence. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like that part of it for sure. Which, Just which part? Just the thrill of it. The thrill of it. Yeah, because once I know that I have a trick dialed, like, that's the best feeling because I know I can do it, you know, on demand and it's not scary anymore. I fought through all the scary parts and it's just like an easy trick for me now. And it's it's also too when you finally do it for the first time, a trick, any trick that you haven't done before. And you finally start, you baby step towards it a little bit. And then when you finally do like a fully extended trick and you're like, Phew, that was that was scary. It felt like you were going to crash, you are going to die. And then you were able to do it. Like it's just a really cool feeling. Just... It sounds weird because you're scaring yourself into like for fear and it's scary, but it's what we kind of strive for. Okay. So walk me through a time and let's see if we can conjure up a real time in your mind that you've experienced that you've maybe done it in a foam pit, maybe not. Okay. But you're, you're on your bike helmet on and you're about to go for something and you're not totally sure that you can do it. Right. So you're on the edge, your body switched on, your mind is in it. Like to walk me through what that is like for you, because most people have no idea what that's like because they play it safe. They play it small. They play it conservatively. They talk a big game, but then find themselves in very rare and few opportunities to truly test themselves. So this is a, and you do this on a regular basis. Yeah, it's crazy. I literally do this every time I ride. Ooh, keep going. Yeah, it's pretty rare that there's a practice day where I just run through the tricks I know that are easy for me and go home. I'm always trying to learn a new trick, learn something, and I strive off progression. So if I feel like I did all the tricks I already know, then I didn't progress, which probably isn't true, but that's the way I think. Okay, so helmet on, sitting on your bike, you feel that rattle. Usually there's some heat associated because we're talking about Temecula in Southern California. What's happening? What is it like when you're about to face down? How do you do that when you're about to face it? Give me a trick that you've been working on. Um, So lately I just learned what we call double knacks and double knack indies. Um, It's kind of where you're not jumping perfectly straight. You kind of whip your bike to the side so your your rear end will be kind of left or right instead of just straight behind the front wheel. And then you or I will jump off kind of parallel with the handlebars and basically kind of Superman out. 
Which then, means that you're off of your bike completely. Yeah, I'm holding on with just my handlebars and my legs are kind of kicked out where okay. my where what my it, rear end sh- kind of should be. What is it when you completely let go of your bike? What's that called? Um, it depends on which trick you're where you're going with that trick. But um, if you let go of kind of your bike still in the the rider position and you do no hands, no feet, that's called a nothing. Nothing. Um, if you let go of your bike and kind of push your bike away and then grab it by your seat. Um, that's kind of called, uh, that's called a holy grab. And then you, there's where you can. A holy what grab? Ho- holy grab. Yeah. And then. As in, holy shit. Like kind this of, could go uh, wrong. Or yeah. kind of, yeah, pretty much. And then there's also one where you kind of go ladder to your, to your seat and you're holding on your seat with two hands and then you let go from there and your feet are already kicked out behind you. And how many feet up are we talking? When you when we ride we go our distance is about 75 feet and then we probably are about 40 feet up or mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, we're up there, but yeah, just every time you learn these tricks it's scary. I mean, Okay, so go back into how you manage that fear. Sitting on your bike, helmet on, I mean, back to that scenario. You you can kind of baby step it to a point and just kind of get a feeling um, but you know, when it comes down to actually doing it, you just have to tell yourself like to finally go for it. You kind of get comfortable with the baby steps as close as you can get to doing the full trick, but then you kind of act just have to go for it. And that's when you have to scare yourself in order to make it not scary. What does that mean? It means I pretty much do whatever scares me. And if I do it enough times, then it's not scary. Got it. And then how do you manage that fear before you're in it? You just kind of try not to think about it. That's the best, best way is just to try and not to think about what could go wrong. Yeah. Just how scary it is going to be or what could go wrong. And then, um, that's kind of when you turn to, to hit the ramp. That's kind of when we kind of say like we have an off switch in our brain and we just flip the switch off and just do it. And what do you say to yourself to flip that switch? And like, what happens when you flip it? Just kind of talk to yourself a little bit and be like, all right, like this is, this is it. Like it's go time. And then you just flip the switch. So it's go time. And then at that moment, that switch, um, I don't, have you ever heard of catching a case of the fuckets? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. You're, right. Is it like that or is it different? It's kind of like that, but you don't catch the case. You just, you just turn, you turn it on, okay, <laughs> turn it so on turn or it off. On or yeah. Off. yeah. And what you're talking about is turning off worry, anxiety, fear, you're, tur- you're turning that off. And then what are you turning on? I, I, at that point, I'm just trying to let my talent take over because I know I'm, I have the ability. I just have to let my brain stop thinking about the dangers and all the, all the things, all the negative and just trust that my talent, my skill and ability will be able to handle this. That's it right there. Pretty much. That's exactly it. You know, and that is uniquely you and it's universally all of us. Absolutely. You know, that's a unique thing that you do that you just described. It's organic, but that is the mechanism for all of us. And it's really hard to do to override a survival brain mechanism to say, you shouldn't be doing this. Like this is dangerous. Right. But then you don't get the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. If you stay comfortable and safe. Yeah, I mean, you don't get the bad stuff for sure, but you know that once you get that feeling of risking it all 
and you know what could go wrong or it has gone wrong before. So you know the consequences, you've felt the consequences, but you still go for it. And you, when you actually get to, to reap the benefits and feel the feeling, then that's what makes it all worth it. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AG1. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know what a big supporter I am of AG1. And it's almost been for a decade now. So I love what they're doing. It's something I drink just about every day. And part of their marketing slogan is that it's a nutritional insurance program. And like, I just, I love that. That's the way it feels for me. And that's because each serving of AG1 delivers a dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and so much more. It is a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I like to take it first thing in the morning which is also recommended for optimal nutrient absorption. So what I do is I just fill up my shaker, add some cold water, a scoop of AG1, and a little squeeze of lemon. I shake it up, and I'm ready to go. Or if I'm in a rush or you know I'm, I'm ripping and running on the road, I just grab an AG1 travel pack to take with me. I feel great after drinking it, not only because of the nutritional insurance idea, but there's just a There's a sustenance that happens when I drink it. And I love recommending it to friends and family because I know AG1 is formulated with science-informed rigor and the highest quality in mind. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I've loved partnering with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, I want to encourage you to give AG1 a try and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 And also get five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash findingmastery. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash findingmastery. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AquaTrue. We all know how important hydration is to performance and recovery and well-being. But it's not just about how much you drink. The quality of your water plays a big role. And if you're like me and you don't fully trust tap water, and I think for good reason, research by the Environmental Working Group has shown that three out of four homes in the U.S. have harmful contaminants in tap water. That's why I'm really excited to introduce AquaTrue. Their purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. It's incredible. I can literally taste the difference in my water. Plus, the filters are affordable and long-lasting. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That adds up to less than three cents per bottle. It feels great to know that all at once, I'm saving money, getting the highest quality water for the Finding Mastery team, and helping make a positive impact on the environment by eliminating single-use plastics all the way around. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and it even makes a great gift. And right now, because you're a Finding Mastery listener, you receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. So just go to AquaTrue.com. You spell it A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code FINDINGMASTERY at checkout. Again, that's AquaTrue.com. Enter the Finding Mastery code at checkout to receive 20% off any purifier that you buy there. Okay, so when I, when I told one of my friends, Dr. Chris Prosser, who is a, a mutual acquaintance of yours, right? I told him that we're doing this today, and he lit up and glowed with, like, what a special human you are. 
Oh, that's for Hev. Yeah. And so why is that? Why would somebody else recognize that in you? Because I'm watching you right now <laughs> and I'm like, there's something really cool inside of you that's different. It's just really different. I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I just I just like riding my dirt bike and I, I have fun. Don't make it so and, simple. Don't yeah. make it so simple. I don't know. I didn't like, I just like riding my dirt bike. And, yeah. You know, life is good. <laughs> I don't and, I couldn't answer that question because I don't know. I don't I don't see it as anything special i just love riding my dirt bikes and we have a great crew on nitro that we all have fun we're all talented athletes but we're just goofy we like to hang out have fun and and at the end of the day we go do a couple jumps it's pretty crazy pretty you know world's first happen stoked for each other and then we go on to the next show Mm -hmm. okay let me let me get out of bounds here a little bit what is your moral compass like how so like there's lots of different ways to risk, at least five. Financial risk, physical risk, social risk, emotional risk, and there's one called moral risk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like like getting on the edge of doing things that you know are not right. And so we could fill in the blanks of what all those things are. Yeah. But I'm wondering if he's what he saw in you and what I'm sensing is a something about your moral compass, but I'm completely making that up right now. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, as far as that kind of stuff goes, I mean, I'm always down to to help anyone that needs help. I'm always, I I definitely have that moral compass, the karma type feeling. I'm definitely not going to be a shady human being or anything like that. I mean, I just, if, if anyone wants help riding dirt bikes or help off the bike, like I'm always there to help them if they need help. Um, yeah, I just I just believe in being a good human being. And where'd you learn that? Where'd that come from? Definitely my family. You know. And then where did they learn their moral code from? I'm guessing their families. You know, it just probably just goes down the line. You know, I mean, my mom's the most selfless person I've ever met. Like I try and talk her into being selfish, and she still won't do it sometimes. Yeah. Okay. So, what, what just happened for you? The way that you talked about mom. Yeah, I just, I just, it's blow, it blows me away how selfish she it? is. Yeah, where do you feel it? Because it, it was obvious what it, you just felt it too, right? Yeah, for sure. Where did you feel it? It just, it's just kind of an overwhelming feeling of how selfish she's been my whole entire life. And where is that in your body? Obviously, my heart. <laughs> you feel it in your heart? Yeah. And if you were to let that move, where would it go? I guess to my brain because I just don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And does it, do you notice it move up into your neck at all? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. And so it goes up rather than down into your stomach. Maybe it goes both. Um, yeah, it's just kind of an overwhelming feeling when, when I think about all the stuff she's done. Is this gratitude? That oh you're yeah. Feeling? Is this is, so what, I, what we're experiencing right now is like the fullness of gratitude. Oh yeah, absolutely. Could you cry if you stayed with this or is it not that type of feeling? Probably if I stayed with it long enough, but at the same time, I get used to talking about everything that she's done for me, so I kind of get used to it. But at the same time, I still get like the same feeling. Yeah, and so this this isn't sadness. Um, no, not really. Oh, there's a little bit. A in little there. bit for yeah. sure, what but is, what's that mostly about? just because of I know everything she gave up, but she's she's so stoked to to see where I'm at, so it's hard not to be grateful. How do you use that in helping you be better? I, I pretty much used it at a young age. I saw how hard my mom worked 
and she would put her hard-earned money into my program at 12, 13, all the way until I think I was pretty much like 18, just putting it into my program. So I knew how hard she was working, and I wasn't going to waste it. So your system, your internal ecosystem is that high moral compass, um, work ethic was high. Um, maybe they didn't quite deal with all of the emotional stuff, like from your father's injury and stuff, but you took and channeled that into wanting to repay them in the thing that you love. They supported it. And so what ends up taking place for you is pretty simple, which is I'm going to go as far as I possibly can. And then you broke glass ceiling, so to speak, by being a female in an industry that is predominantly male and you've earned it, right? You've earned the credibility from your, your colleagues. Yeah, I, I guess I have. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy to really think about because when I was a kid, it's just not, it wasn't my goal. Like I watched Supercross growing up, but I was never like, oh, I could be out there doing this or that. It was just, I was just riding and working on the, you know, the next race coming up. I was kind of always like kept my head down and I worked and I just kept progressing, but I never really like picked my head up and looked around, so to speak. I just always pushing and, and never really like, like when I'm at, you know, 14 years old, I'm not making a list of, I'm going to qualify for Supercross and be the first female. I'm going to do this and be the first female. It was just like, it kind of like became a thought of like, oh, maybe I feel, I feel like I'm pretty good at this. Maybe I should go to the next level while well, there's no next level for the women's side of it or at all. So I was just like, well, I'll just go, go race the men then. It wasn't, yeah, it just wasn't like a set goal of like, oh, there's no women in this. So I need to go do it. Yeah, you're not you're not the token female yeah. in the industry. Like you are like, listen, uh, I'm fast and <laughs> I can go big and my skills are legit. Like what are some of the skills that men are doing that women are not able to do yet? Uh, I think just take take it to uh, you know, that next level in racing, which is or even in freestyle, it's just there's just at such a high competitive level. And but it's not really a male or female thing. It's just so it's a, not a strength thing. Like um, in many sports, like jumping higher is you know, like in basketball, like men can jump higher. Yeah. I don't know if every man can jump as, you know, I don't know that, that data, but it seems that way at least. Right. I mean, like if, if we go down to science, there's obviously differences, male and female, like that's how it works. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, we're not created equal for a reason. So yeah, there's going to be differences and men are going to be better at certain things like that for a reason. Um, with motocross, you can kind of get away with it and that's not really male or female. It's just even body build. Um, we have guys that are shorter than me. I'm five, seven, maybe. And there's guys shorter than me out there killing it. And there's guys, you know, that weigh less than me killing it. And there's guys that weigh, you know, 200 pounds that are still killing it. So, like, there's just a broad spectrum of bodybuilds and athletes that are still killing it. It's just when it comes down to it, just, uh, I guess, the level of the sport you're at. I mean, we're all sitting here and being professionals. But, yeah, it's just there's guys that I ride with that don't want to go to that next level or whether it be injury or they're maybe too old to do it or they just don't want to go there because 
you know, not everyone wants to do body burials on their dirt bike and double backflips. You know, those are gnarly, gnarly tricks. So it's just some people just don't want to go there. So that brings us right to something that you're doing in two days, which is you're going to break through a bunch of barriers <laughs> that are on fire. Yeah. So, okay. So walk, walk, walk through what's at stake and what it is that you're going to be challenging yourself to do. Oh, well, I mean the, uh, the obvious part at stake is not being burnt alive. Um, that's the obvious one, but you, you laugh kinda. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where if, if you can't like, if you're going to cry about it, just laughter comes out. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, nobody wants to get lit on fire. So it's it's definitely an obvious danger. But, yeah, it's just one of those things where Evil Knievel started this whole thing. Like, everything that we do today is because of Evil. So to be able to do this type of tribute for him and attempt this world record, it's just, it's just a, a privilege is what it is. Okay, so the nature is that you're going to be how many yards behind or feet behind the first board? Um, I think we set it about maybe 200 feet or so, just so I can kind of get up to speed in the right body positioning and things like that. Okay, wh what will that look like? Um, what yeah. gear will you hit? How fast will you be going? Um, What's your I've been body? in, I'll click second gear, and then I'll probably aim to be around like 31, 32 miles an hour. Um, any less, obviously we get into the part of not actually going through the walls and then any more, it just starts, um, hurting me more. So 30, 31, 32 is like the good range to be in just because the two points of contact are the front of the motorcycle and then my forehead. So it just starts hurting more and I don't really want to get knocked out during this whole process either. How many times have you trained it or done it? Uh, I think we've done maybe three days three or four days okay and which doesn't sound like a lot but you know you can fit a lot into a day <laughs> yeah for sure okay and is it 12 12 is the record we're gonna do 13 you're gonna do 13 okay yeah. and they'll all be on fire all of them and you'll have practice with some fire by now yeah we've done a little bit with uh with fire but um, a lot of it's just to make sure every, obviously that's what we call testing and practice is to make sure everything is good where with me, with, um, with the bike too, just because we had to make changes, not really so much for performance for the motorcycle, just for, to block it from debris. So the motorcycle doesn't, you know, have a mechanical by any means. And then to kind of help push the debris away from me and the bike. So we kind of had to test with that kind of stuff. And then, uh, one of my last test runs that we did, I actually had a board just stuck in my face and it wouldn't come off. So we had to try and figure out a way to uh, just make a couple changes and make sure I hopefully am able to see through the whole thing this time. So that one, it got stuck on your visor? Um, we, we're wearing like a street bike style helmet, so there's no actual like set visor, Okay. but, um, yeah, there's like a, the standard like face shield. Yeah. Um, but it literally it got stuck, stuck like on the face across shield. my face and like I could barely see out of either eye because the board was just perfectly like in my vision and it was on fire. And so I was just, my eyes were burning and just trying to keep my eyes open and it just would not leave my face. How did you get out of that? Do you keep going? Like, uh, yeah, I was, I stayed calm. I think, I think, uh, I was just trying to wait it out and I was like, don't panic. 
the next wall, surely it'll knock off. Well, I went through the next wall and it didn't come off. So <laughs> it got stuck there for a couple walls and it was just to the point where my eyes were burning and I was, they were just starting to shut on me. I just couldn't keep them open anymore. So I finally shook, shook the, the board out of my face and that caused me to swerve a little bit. And thankfully I was near the last, one of the last firewalls. So I was able to kind of swore back in and go through the the last wall we were we had um lined up but yeah it it got pretty sketchy pretty fast Whew. okay so what are some of the danger choke points how would you get burnt i know you're going through them but if you're at 30 miles an hour 31 miles an hour you're the fire is not going to stay on you uh so the way you know i didn't know this before but the way it kind of works is you know we have them spread out about 50 feet apart for each wall but when you go through the wall, the fire stays with you for a moment and kind of like swarms up in you almost kind of like how, like if you're going down the freeway and you've seen like truck beds, like it kind of, it, it'll cycle in the truck bed. So it kind of like the wind stays in like in a circular motion type thing. So it's kind of similar with, with what the fire's doing. It kind of sweeps and like circles in with me and then uh, it'll dissipate. But that takes a little bit. It's not immediate. Is that why they're 50 feet? You said, um, did you say 50 kind feet? of, yeah, about 50, 50 feet. feet apart. Is that why, or is it something else? Uh, it, it it'll help for it'll sure. Help. It makes okay. it tougher for me because obviously it's longer. Um, but it's, it's supposed to kind of help with heat. But as soon as I, uh, as soon as that dissipates, I hit the next one. So it's never really leaving me. It's always going to be there and it's going to be hot. Um, the first couple tests, you know, with my motocross background, normally I wear, paper thin gear and it's lightweight. It's nice. Um, this is the opposite. I'm already wearing like three layers, which is like two layers of what we call Nomex, which is like a fire resistant suit. So we're already thick, heavy, sweaty. And then on top of that, um, there'll be a full leather race suit. So I'm wearing a lot of layers. It's already hot. So you would think with all that, you wouldn't feel like burning type hot, but even with those layers, I still felt, uh, what we call hot spots. And that's like almost, you know, burning pretty much. So we felt a couple of those and tried, tried to make some changes with, um, my suits and things like that just to prevent burning. Okay. And then what is your relationship with fire? I mean, I didn't have one before, but now so I guess we're new, trying yeah. to be best friends. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this isn't like you're a fire eater. This isn't like you're, you're nah. fascinated by fire. This nah, is like, okay. I, I knew not to touch it as a young kid because it's hot. That's mm -hmm. about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So then what are some of the other unrecognizable to the layperson? Um, I mean, there's the, the obvious one where, you know, well, not obvious, but um, these are pretty set 50 feet apart. There's no real out. There's not really a good with with my speed and my vision um my vision's pretty much blurred um there's not much i can see so i mean when you're in just a swarm of fire everything looks the same and then there's just no out there's no i can't go through a wall if i'm on wall five i can't get out there's there's separated enough where you think you could but going at my speed there's no real out and so what would you do if you were on fire uh, well, the fire extinguisher is at the end, so I'll just so go to the end. So you have to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. And then what is the mindset? What is the right internal dialogue that you want to have at the start? 
Um, mainly it's pretty much the same as everything. Focus on everything, you know, focus on getting up to the right speed. I'm in the right position. And then, um, just try not to panic. That's the best thing I can pretty much do just because there's no, can, can I help you with that? Hopefully, yeah. Thank you. I need it. Yeah. Can I, instead of like try not to do something, it's like we would never say to somebody, right? Don't, don't airball, you know? Like, so if we flip that around, like, what would you flip? Like, how would you, I I mean, I can make it up for you right now, but like, what is it for you? Yeah. I mean, like I said, when I got that board stuck in my face, it kind of gave me a taste of like, I had a split second where, like, oh God, what do I do? And then, I went, don't panic, just stay, stay in your tuck position, brace for each wall. And then I just kind of went into focusing on what I can do because I can't control this board being stuck. So I try to go through just staying calm and focus on, you know, my speedometer, my form, bracing for the walls and just praying that the end is near. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. Like it's the, the C's, right? Yeah. Calm, for sure. composure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, there was a split second where I was like, okay, don't panic. Yeah. And then it went it into like, focus on the task at hand after yeah. that. And, and do you say it like that? Do you say, okay, yeah. don't panic? Or do you say something like, hold on now, keep your shit together. Stay in it. We got this. Let's I'm, go. I'm like, sure there's a few curse words that go on yeah, in my it, head. Like, isn't that weird that like <laughs> curse words do something like when we say it inside? Oh yeah. How aware are you of what you actually say to yourself? Or is it more like feel? I mean, it, I think it, it's kind of when like time slows down and you kind of feels like you can control more than what people see in a split second. It How feels, often do you get into flow state? Um, I'd say when things are going wrong, it feels like time slows down. Um, when I'm, it's funny because when I'm learning like a new trick in the air, it feels like time speed speeds up, like the landing comes so much quicker and I don't have enough of the air time that I think I do. And, but when everything goes wrong, every like time slows down, like you can go through almost a million scenarios in your head of what to do or what not to do. And then when you finally like pick the one you're going to go with and then you, you can do it. Like, it's just so weird how our brains are wired for survival. Yeah. So people talk about all the time, like the, the, um, the mystics of meditation and mindfulness, that practice will help you be more syncopated with the present moment. For right? sure. Like mindfulness training will do it. But you know what yeah. else will do it? Putting yourself right in the midst of danger. Oh, yeah. Right? For like sure. when your nails are just etching into the side of the cliff, it's like there's no way yeah. that panic is going to survive. You yeah. know, so then we have to be really present with our thoughts. Yeah. So you're, sure. you're better at it than many. I. Thank you. I guess it takes a a lot of work of what goes wrong to figure it out (laughs) because it was crazy. The, uh, after I did my first flip, uh, we actually ended up actually having practice on this setup, which is pretty unheard of on tour just because it takes so long to, to get everything to the next stop and then set up. So we normally don't even have a lot of practice, especially with this next level setup. And the week after we ended up getting a practice day and, the week before, um, one of our riders ended up having, uh, he made a, an error and ended up under rotating, uh, one of his flips. And I watched him nose pick and come in nose heavy and then go over the bars. And he did a last minute tuck and like came out. Okay. 
And I came in on the practice day in the same scenario where I knew I was under rotating and that flashed into my head. I'm like, well, Bo did, Bo tucked, Bo tucked in. He was okay. So all I got to do is like, if I let go now, it's definitely not going to work. If I do this, it's definitely not going to work. I'm like, I'm just going to do a Bo did. And it ended up working. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. There's like one Mississippi and then you've got to make a decision by then. Yeah, but I just it was so weird because I went through all these scenarios of yeah of like foam pit practice um like throughout the years of like when I know I'm under rotating of what I what I have done before I'm like well that didn't work this didn't work that's probably not gonna work and then I just remember just going back to I'm like well Bo just did this last week I'll just do what he did and then I just as soon as I hit I tucked and I was fine. <laughs> It's amazing to have that resource. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's yeah. unreal to even like think about how we can process all that stuff. And it literally happens. This blink of an eye. So your partner in this project mm -hmm. was, you know, hurt and isn't able to do the event. And yeah. when I first heard that that took place, I thought, I wonder how this is going to affect you. And then after hearing about how you work, your framework, your psychological framework, I have a, a different thought. So how, how is it affecting you? Right now, I guess it kind of made it, it t a little bit tougher, you know? Um, I'm, you know, I, I ride with Axel every day, you know, not, not every day, but we ride a ton to together. You know, we have fun. We always push each other. So it was, it's weird because this isn't a, a team sport like normal. So we normally don't get this team effort type thing. So when we do, it's, it makes it fun. It makes it something new. And it felt really cool to be able to share all this with someone. And that's going to be doing something just so gnarly. And we get to do this together. So it was a really cool feeling to have that team vibe. And, you know, unfortunately, he, he ended up crashing. So uh, first, like obviously, a day or two or just a couple days before. Yeah, not not long. So unfortunately you know the first thing goes to is he okay um he's he's okay he had some pretty bad ankle injuries um but for everything that he was doing for how fast he was going how far he's jumping how high he is up in the air you know he should be realistically in the hospital fighting for his life but he's not so thankfully he's okay and he'll still be able to be there sunday but yeah it was just it felt like a really special team thing we were doing together. So unfortunately now it's like, feels like more, more pressure is on now because, you know, I thought that, you know, sharing it kind of lightens the load now, you know, it's all, it's all on me now. And so how are you working with that? Uh, it's been all right so far. Um, thankfully there's not much time between, you know, this change and the event. So hopefully I don't, uh, I guess don't overthink it too much cause there's not enough time to, but yeah, it definitely feels like there's an added pressure now. It actually doesn't change the nature of your task, but the thinking around it, like, okay, all eyes on me, there's no shared whatever spotlight that you can work yourself into a, a different way of thinking about it. For sure. And I mean, there's the, the added thing of he, he went down doing this world record attempts and, you know, that's a very real possibility for me. So, you know, it makes the danger of it a bit more real. What would be the worst thoughts that you could have? I'd say going down and getting let on fire. 
<laughs> so you don't want to be thinking about that. I try not to. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, uh, like like we talked about, it's something that your mind goes to. You try and not really think about it and just focus at the task at hand. And yeah. that's really all you can do. It sounds so mechanical, but it really is. That's the work. Yeah. And so when the thought comes in that you don't want, what do you do with it? I, I hit delete. <laughs> I just keep putting, keep just pushing. keep pushing the button. Yeah. yeah. Is that, is that how you think about it? Delete, delete, delete. Yeah. Just try and I mean, realistically, I, I think about it, get nervous. It scares me. And then I just try and change my thought process to something else. Do you feel things in your body or your head mostly? Like, um, is it more? I mean, it's like a, I mean, it's a full, like full body terrifying feel. I just choose to try and push it away. You know, and I don't, I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to think like that. And it's at the end of the day, a, a waste of time to think like that. So hopefully, you know, if I focus and put more of my time and effort into everything, how to do everything, how to do it properly, then that's going to be the outcome. Obviously, you want to think about the things that can go wrong and what to do in those scenarios. Uh, like now that the board got stuck in my face, now I'm thinking, well, if that happens again, maybe I can do a quick, you know, toss up with the hand and move it away. And then I can go back to being able to see. So, you know, just stuff like that where it hurt me, but it can also help me because if it happens again, now I, I know what I could, you know, think about to try to make sure that, you know, I don't get it stuck on my face for three boards and yeah, then that's figure exact, it out. So, yeah, that's what testing is about. Like yeah. learn, like I need more information. I need more information, more yeah. information so I can do something with the information. Yeah. This right? stunt yeah. is definitely a lot tougher because when I want to do something, I, I'm all about repetition. I want to do it till I can do it with my eyes closed and feel comfortable and confident. Well, this isn't something you should be, should or can be doing you know, with repetition, you know, I'm bashing my head into a wall. So it's probably not that healthy to continue to do it multiple times. This is not a good thing. (laughs) No. Are are there any concussion stuff that you're worried about? Uh, not really. Bell makes a great helmet that, you know, I've, I have all the confidence in the world for. So, you know, I, I think that that helmet's doing its job for sure. We probably won't use it again after this, but (laughs) yeah, it's doing its job. What do you say to the people that don't really understand the nuances of what you're doing that look at it and say, that's not so hard. I mean, all you got to do is talk, go 31 miles an hour straight and talk. <laughs> like what, what do you say to that? Uh, you know, there's always going to be the the haters or the, the people that don't understand what we do. I mean, no matter what we do, on dirt bikes, there's always going to be someone saying, well, that's not that hard. You just do this. Or when we're on dirt bikes, the main thing people go to for, you know, the physical side of it is, well, the motor, the, you got a motor, you know? So there's always going to be those types of people. And, and then you have the people that totally understand you're playing with fire. You're doing this, you're on a motorcycle, there's gas in the tank. It could explode. Like the people that understand more of the risks and how gnarly it is. It's the micro decisions that I'm fascinated by the small little micro decisions that you're going to make at the start micro decisions as you're entering in to find 31 miles an hour. Is that all by sound? 
Um, my bike actually has a speedometer. You okay, know, we so have a, a basically, you know, what could is a, a street legal motorcycle, an Indian motorcycle that you can go to the dealership and buy. And that'll that's what we're on. Like I said, we didn't make any performance changes, just changes for the okay. walls and the fire. But yeah, I still got a speedo and that actually kind of helps give me something to to focus on. So I'm pretty much just kind of staying in my tuck and looking up and then looking back down to make sure my speed is is good because I can't really hear the motorcycle as well just because there's fire there's so much going on that normally I I am based on sound and sound alone and this is I'm based on a number so it's really weird to me and something totally different I'm not used to having to look up and then look down to check how fast I'm going because I already know because I that's where we go back to the repetition. I jump something so much, I don't need to know how fast I'm going because I know by feel and by sound. Well, I haven't done this enough to know feel and sound. I just so I have to just rely on the sp- the speedo to tell me how fast to go. Okay, so there's a new element there, and I'm looking at you right now. The size of your forearms are ridiculous. <laughs> that's, <laughs> like, that's due to arm pump. That yeah. now that I don't race as much, uh, those these things pump up now. <laughs> they do. Yeah, I got the death grip back. Yeah, you do, and like and the the like the muscle in between your hands are really noticeable as well. So it's one of the adaptations. I never even noticed. <laughs> yeah. So every sport, you know, has a body type adaptation. You know, you look at golfers, they've got one side of their body. It looks very different than the other. Yeah, I never even thought about that. Yeah. Well, I'm like, going to definitely like pay attention now. Volleyball players like beach and sand volleyball players, they have like really, um, they're in great shape, but their waists tend to be a little bit wider. You know, it's because there's so much rotation. Yeah. Right. You know? And so like, and so I, I'm noticing, I'm always fascinated by the adaptations from people who are world-class because you've earned them. Some people are born with them, you know, but you've earned them like really strong upper limbs that you have. Yeah. I think I'm probably backwards too, because a lot of motocross, especially with racing, it's supposed to be all legs and core and you're supposed to be barely hanging on with your arms. Your arms aren't really supposed to do much except, you know, kind of operate the controls, but you're supposed to be kind of light with your hands. Well, I've always had leg injuries so my legs are frail and brittle and my arms kind of had to carry the team. <laughs> so like how many injuries have you had? Uh, a lot. Yeah. But mostly, like I said, I don't have any, I don't have an ACL, MCL or meniscus in my left knee. Uh, I had, I broke my left uh, ankle and then right after I broke my left ankle, I almost lost my right leg uh, and shattered my heel and sh- broke every bone in my ankle joint my right leg so my legs are very I got twig legs <laughs> so my arms just kind of have to carry the team mm, so mostly lower body nothing upper yeah, body injuries? I mean, I've had like broken collarbones I've had a couple of shoulder surgeries um but yeah just a lot of leg injuries okay cool <laughs> all right good well I, I'll tell you what I'm I'm stoked to meet you I, it, to me like not that you need this but it, you feel really ready you know, like, of course, there's some stuff you got to work out still For a sure, couple yeah. days going in, but your framework seems sturdy and durable and flexible and reliable. Your mindset feels totally dialed in, feels like you understand that space between micro decisions, you know, so like I'm stoked to meet you as a human. Sweet. And then I love hearing like how you work and where you come from and that you've earned the position to be that you're that you're in right now. 
Okay, so where do you get in your way? Where where will be the danger part for you getting in your way, basically in life or even in this event that you're doing? Just just myself, and that comes down to the the rest and recovery that I have to keep up on. That's actually the most important thing for me because I'm not very good at it. So just trying to, I guess, steady myself and keep a good pace because I like to get ahead of myself and do too much at once. So I think if I can just continue on a steady pace of keep working hard and keep focusing on what I got going on and uh, the task at hand, but still, still chill out on the days I need to chill out. I think I should be just fine. Really cool. All right. I can't wait to, you know, be part of this with you and watch you, you know, go through it. And I'm super stoked to meet you. And last question before you go is how do you think about or define or like, how do you conceptualize this concept of mastery? Uh, you know, there's a lot of w- different ways you can look at it. Um, I just look at it as that, you know, this is my job, so I'm going to treat it like one. And then two, like I said, it's my hobby. So I get to, to have fun days if I'm not feeling it, if I don't want to push it on the days I feel off, then, you know, I still have that, that call. So it's just really just being in tune with what you with what you got going and just making sure that you're on the right track. And if you're not, figure out how to get there or, you know, know when to say, all right, maybe today's not the day. And that's that's the toughest part to make those kinds of calls. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. yeah it really is. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Where can people find you, follow you like the whole thing? Yeah. I'm uh, big on Instagram as, as pretty much everyone is these days, but yeah, my social media handles at V golden for 23. Awesome. Okay. So congratulations on the entire body of work, for, you know, and that goes without saying, and I'm super stoked to, to be part of this with you. So yeah, thank you. Sweet. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for diving into another episode of Finding Mastery with us. Our team loves creating this podcast and sharing these conversations with you. We really appreciate you being part of this community. And if you're enjoying the show, the easiest no-cost way to support is to hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're listening. Also, if you haven't already, please consider dropping us a review on Apple or Spotify. We are incredibly grateful for the support and feedback. If you're looking for even more insights, we have a newsletter we send out every Wednesday. Punch over to findingmastery.com slash newsletter to sign up. This show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors, and we take our recommendations seriously. And the team is very thoughtful about making sure we love and endorse every product you hear on the show. If you want to check out any of our sponsor offers you heard about in this episode, you can find those deals at findingmastery.com slash sponsors. And remember... No one does it alone. The door here at Finding Mastery is always open to those looking to explore the edges and the reaches of their potential so that they can help others do the same. So join our community, share your favorite episode with a friend, and let us know how we can continue to show up for you. Lastly, as a quick reminder, information in this podcast and from any material on the Finding Mastery website and social channels is for information purposes only. If you're looking for meaningful support, which we all need, one of the best things you can do is to talk to a licensed professional. So seek assistance from your healthcare providers. Again, a sincere thank you for listening. Until next episode, be well, think well, and keep exploring.